Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Play Games Lose Friends. We're here to talk board games. I'm Ryan. That's Ken. It is, what, Sunday, June 5th, 2022. This is episode 14. Thanks again for tuning in. We've got a plenty of games to talk about. Uh, I believe you have a played list of eight or nine games, which is impressive to say the least. I did not have that much time, so I tip my hat to you, sir. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk about something we've played before and discussed a little bit on the show. That's Moonrakers. Uh, our friend Joe has a copy. We do not own it, but we've gotten enough plays through that. We're going to do an official review, and we're also going to talk a little bit about some back-bought stuff and also our first impressions of Arc Nova, uh, a game that's been on everybody's radar for a while. It's pretty hot commodity at this point in time. And lots of, uh, lots of reviews out there about Arc Nova, the, the next terraforming Mars, as, as they say. So let's dive in. Uh, we'll start talking first about what we've played. How about you go first since you have such a massive list? <laughs> if you want to just run through them and if you got any highlights, however you want to structure it, it's all yours, buddy. Yeah. So we, uh, over the Memorial Day holiday, uh, we had some family come over. This is the family that we, uh, we play games with pretty hardcore. So, I was, so we were able to get, uh, I believe it was eight games played over basically a two day period. Cause, you know, Friday and Monday were like, like portions of days. So, uh, we played, uh, too many cooks, uh, with my son. Uh, he joined us. Uh, we played silver and gold, uh, Mr. Phil Walker Harding. Uh, we did an exit game, uh, one of the exit, uh, the cursed labyrinth. Uh, game. Uh, then when everyone went to bed, uh, I got, uh, some Radlands in with, uh, my wife's cousin. Uh, he really dug that. And I know you and I both like that a lot. Um, the first game was, uh, was pretty one sided till he understood the mechanics. And then the second game was like a nail biter, right? Like it was so good. And then I believe he ended up pulling it out. So Radlands again is just fantastic. Yeah. I love that game. Uh, we got summer camp again, still, uh, another Phil Walker Harding. I love summer camp. Uh, I've made the joke that I've never won summer camp. Well, I broke <laughs> that streak. Uh, I, Yay! Won, I won my first game of summer camp. How do you feel? It was, uh, it was amazing. It was so good. I love that victory game. Lap? <laughs> I spiked the game board like a football. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. Um, and then one of the games that, uh, uh, my wife's cousin really wanted to try was Ankh. Um, his, um, brother and oh God, his brother-in-law kept telling him how good it was. And it took me a little while to get it set up again. It's Ankh. So yeah. two and a half boxes of stuff later, I finally, cause I have the, you know, the, the plastic <laughs> bits and, and I, and I couldn't find where everything was. Oh, it's a mess. So, but I finally got it played. We finally got it going and. It was a, we didn't, again, obviously two players, so we didn't do merge mechanic and no one else was interested. Um, well, supposedly, like from everything I've read and, and even from playing, that game is best with two players, if you can believe it. It was really good. I actually enjoyed it more as a two player game. Yeah. Um, I've heard that. I've played it a couple times at two, but I, again, I played like against my son. So yeah. I, you know, I don't have a lot of adult competition at two, but I've heard it's best at two. And it was so funny because his brother-in-law was like texting him like strategies based on what, what his God was and the, the guards <laughs> that were out. 
And then it got to a so point where- So what gods where I, did you have? Uh, so he had, is it Ra, the one that steals your guys and then uses them as think plus so. strengths? Yeah. So he had Ra. And then I had Osiris, which is the one that would put the portals up. When we lose a battle, yep. I can put a portal. Yeah. Which is allow, really good. allows me to summon. Bonehead play. I missed a, a drop of one of the portals, but it didn't, it didn't end up, you know, costing me too much. Cause then we were, again, I was, I was way behind in the beginning of the game. And then I got, we got caught up. Um, and then I had sort of pulled through and then it was real close at the end. And then it was just, you know, again, the game ends as soon as someone hits the top track. So one battle, you know, was won by me and it pushed me over the edge. Um, nice. didn't really get to the, the guardians we had was that little kitty cat that like, when you stop on an enemy space, you can move them. Is it a cat or is it just some random weird thing with swords? I forget. But, um, and then the, uh, the, remember. and There's then the alleg- God. No, no. Maybe it was, maybe it's not a cat, but it, I don't know. It's like a mummified ninja or something. But anyway, so, and then the one was the, that half a crocodile. Um, oh yeah. And, hey, and basically, uh, that thing sat in the middle in the water, but it added strength to three or four regions that it's adjacent to. So that was pretty good. And then the last one was wow. like, um, this Sphinx thing that, Anything that was adjacent to it, it negated their strength value. So it was good. Yeah, the Andrew Sphinx. Andrew Sphinx, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that was Ankh. So that was good. And then my uh, son and wife got to uh, play the uh, Sagrada with us. Again, we love Sagrada in this house. I think I've mentioned it several times. Um, they announced the, the final expansion for Sagrada before going oh, nice. into Sagrada Legacy this summer, hopefully. So there's lots of Sagrada. I still content don't know coming. how that's going to work. I can't wait. I can't wait. And the last game, which is the one I actually wanted to go a little bit more in detail with, is uh, a little game from Kickstarter called Turf War. Um, this is another two-player game, and uh, the way it plays is basically you have a your yard in front of your house, um, and when you're home, you can put things in your yard and you can do things in your yard. But you can also go away to the market and work, which gets you money and then allows you to buy stuff. And then anything you use when you're home goes in your garage. Anything you buy when you're away is in your garage. But when you come back home, you get to pick your hand back up, basically. And it is a... I think it's more take that than it was intended, but just the nature of the game, uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, from a take that perspective, because you're like playing a pigeon on someone. And what the pigeon does is just like basically poops on everything that it lands on. And then all those cards <laughs> get discarded. Um, or you can like plant dandelions in their garden, which is a minus one victory point, but it gives them a plant icon. So, uh, so that could be beneficial for them. So basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to sway. There's five neighbors in the neighborhood. And you're trying to meet their requirements. And the first, as soon as you, the fifth neighbor gets swayed, um, then you tally up your garden or your yard and whoever has the highest victory points wins. It sounds silly and, and, but, but, but in like a good way, but it is so much fun. And it was crunchy. Like you didn't know, like, cause you could only like play bad cards when someone's not home. Right. So. You know, because they, they'll catch you, basically. So it's, like, thematic in, in a weird little way. That's um, awesome. But 
Um, Can you put like dog crap in their yard? I didn't see the dog poop, but it might be in there. I probably it probably is there. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I actually had this combo with this one. I, I it, so it was a pest. You know, so there's there's three types of cards. There's plants. Uh, there's decorations and there's pests. I think that's it. I think there's only three. Is there uh, a meerkat lamp card? <laughs> there should be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we got, um, for, so we for, play- for the listeners, Ken bought me a meerkat lamp for my yard. Oh, I can't wait to see it in its glory. Is it out? Uh, it's on the walking path into the woods. So it's like the first thing you see. And every time we go up there, the dogs are like terrified that something's there <laughs> and they like approach it warily. It's awesome. Nice. Yeah, so I think uh, you're really going to get dig Turf, turf War. Uh, again, it's simple, silly, and fun, um, but yet, like, it's it's got good decision-making. Like, when to take that versus not, you know, how to how – to, when to go away, when to buy, what to buy, when to buy it, how to trigger these neighbors to come to your side of the, how, uh, the neighborhood. Um, it's fun. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And again, it just arrived, like – a day or two before they got here. So I was like, I was excited to get it to the table. Nice. So it's, it was Kickstarter only. There was like no retail release whatsoever. It, you might be able to find it at retail. I know. I just know I kickstarted it. Okay. How much was, was it? Like 20, 25? Uh, well, so this is a funny part. Like the game, I think was like $14, but oh, wow. then, but then you could add two play mats you know, one for each player, and then the playmat for the market and the neighbors. So it ended up, I think it was like $39. So the playmats were more than the game, I think, or something like that. Like, I think I ended up giving them 25 bucks on top of the 14 Um Wow. Just again, because, again, it was it was weird. It was one of those where I was like, yeah, those mats are kind of cool. It's a simple little game. Yeah, let's do it. So, I don't know, I was feeling froggy. But I'm happy I did, because... You know, uh, that it, it, it helps with the, with, you know, the, the yard and, you know, the market and stuff. So it's just organized, but you don't need it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, playmats are always like a, there are certain games where they just lend themselves to it. And there are some games where it's just like window dressing. You don't really need it. it sounds like one that that benefits from. Yeah. Sort of like Radlands, you know, how it helps you where to put your cards and stuff. So my, my kid had a game day at school, just mentioning Radlands and his, apparently his friend, his dad is a big board gamer. Oh, uh, I don't know him, but he, I, I don't know if it was his son's copy or his copy, but, uh, he, they, he took Radlands into school and my son got to play it and he was like, Oh, it's so awesome. I love that game. He's like, oh, I had these punks and we were killing each other's towers and, uh, and like talking it up and stuff. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I played that before with Ken. It's a really great game. And I said, if I get it, would you play? And he goes, no, not, no, I wouldn't play with you. And I'm like, all right. And we just continued to walk in silence for a little bit. It was like just one of those perfect father son moments that, uh, you know, summarizes our, our little contentious gaming relationship, but that's okay. I understand. Nice. So that's quite a list. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty jealous that you got to play that many games <laughs> over an entire weekend. Cause I got almost nothing over the entire week. Uh, I did want to talk about something we played on our last board game night. I finally got a copy of Brian Boru, uh, on sale, I think. And we played it for the first time. I think we played two games, right? Yeah. We had to run it back right away. Yeah. 
I like it a lot. It's really good. Uh, I did not know what to think about trick-taking being mixed in with an area control game, but it works really, really well. I think all the tracks on the board and, you know, remembering the cards that are out, the marriage stuff, there's a lot going on, a lot of stuff to consider, a lot of stuff to keep in your head. But it works really well and it plays super, super smooth. And it was fairly quick after the first playthrough that we were able to get a second game in. And that went pretty fast. But I don't know. What did you think? I, I was blown away. I – so, again, much – I think I – I don't know. I may have mentioned this a couple of times. Like, when learning a new game, if it doesn't click for me right away, I get upset at myself. Because, like, I want to be able <laughs> to get it and I want to be able to understand it and I want to be able to be competitive. And I didn't think my first showing – of it was good. And I didn't, again, it didn't click with me until like, I don't know, the second marriage or whatever, third marriage maybe. And I was like, oh, I could see it. I see this game now. All right. I get it. I get it. So I was like, all right, we just got to ride this out. And then hopefully everyone wants to play again. Cause I love this game. I love it so much. I, and it's one of those games where I think depending on what's happening, you can easily switch strategies and still be competitive. Um, yeah. like, like if you know you're losing on the Raiders, right? For example, or the Vikings, right? The Vikings. Sorry, I got Raiders confused with Radlands. Um, so then you then it's like okay so i got to go for marriage then cuz that would mean that more than likely no one's really going for marriage or if there's two people fighting for the marriage thing it's like eh, is it even worth wasting time and competing all right maybe i'll take the church right there's so many different ways to uh to to shift and pivot and and i think that's just what it's amazing that there's that much depth in a trick taking game you know yeah yeah. And it kind of blew me away. But it's, but you have to draft your hands that way in order to be, um, to shift. Cause if you go so heavy in one, either A, you got to go for it and don't back down. Um, or you have to draft and have a little bit of each, you know? Um, yeah. The and draft I love makes a huge difference. Yeah. I love the drafting in this. Like I love taking the number one or a number, like there was a number three that's really good. Just to lose. Like, it's weird to say, like, the only game I've ever played where you draft to lose was Blood Rage prior. Yep. Right. And this one, like, you draft to lose sometimes, which is kind of cool in a way, because you're not necessarily losing because you're, you, you could really pull ahead by losing all the battles, but like winning on the tracks. Yeah. I, I was kind of, there are a lot of games out there where you, you know, you try to, commit to a path and, and that path is going to benefit you and help you win the game. And Brian Boru has plenty of those paths, but committing to them is not the right course of action. In most cases, you want to have enough of a flexible approach throughout the game with the cards you drafted to make sure you're actually able to, you know, compete on several different areas. And the fact that you don't, you know, if you win one, you get wiped off. But if you lose one, one of those tracks, you know, you go back one space, but then you're still on the track. There's still a chance for you to compete. So part of it, too, is not only just going for the win on certain places, but also setting yourself up over the long run. So there's a lot of, you know, little bits of, of short-term gains, 
and short-term failures for long-term gains that really make planning out the way you play Brian Boru important. And I love, that's the part I like the most about it. I think all the mechanics are clever, but I think the fact that you can sit there and even in a game that, you know, once the tricks are done, you start a new round, you can scheme over the course of the rounds for, you know, we played a three player game. I imagine four would be even more awesome, but yeah, I just, I love that about that game. It, It made it so much cooler to me that there's, sort of this like long-term vision that you can set up and execute maybe and have the flexibility to switch out of that if you need to. Um, the other game I got in and I talked about doing this for a while uh, was going back and revisiting Sleeping Gods. I tried it. Uh, my wife and I tried it. It fell totally flat for us. We didn't even get through like we got through the first third of the event deck before we were just like, yeah, this isn't we're not having fun. I wanted to give it another shot. So I went back and I played it solo and I wanted to do that because I felt like when we played it, we didn't give it a fair shake. And this game had so much hype and so much, you know, gossip and, and publication or not publication. What's the word? Publicity. (laughs) There you go. Del Ryan. Nice. Publicity behind it that I needed to give it another chance. So set it up. I played it over the course of a weekend. It took, I don't even know how many hours. It's a fairly long game. And my verdict was that it wasn't that much better. Uh, I tried to, you know, get more into the storyline this time. I tried to maybe see, you know, if I could get some more character investment and mechanically had a better understanding of how the game played. So that helped me kind of get through things a little faster this time around. It was a little less arduous. But in the end, I think a lot of my complaints from when I played two player still ring true. I think there is not much in the way of character development, which is disappointing because you see these unique named characters from, you know, the there's Marco from Brazil and, and somebody from Georgia, like they have names and they lived places. There's really no, very little to no character development involved. The overarching storyline does not hit home for me. I know they're trying to travel around this this alien world and it's not really that alien it's just oceans and islands and stuff and kingdoms and towns and markets but they're trying to find these totems to be able to use them to get back to the real world it never really felt immersive i guess uh which is you know kind of what i expect out of a narrative game and i also thought the mechanics for the game while well designed i'll give them credit for the design for sure they're very tedious and you constantly feel like you're just making the, the least bad decision. Your crew gets hurt. Your crew gains fatigue, which means they're less capable in combat and they can't take challenges. Every turn is filled with tons of challenges. So you're oftentimes just saying, all right, well, I don't want to put a fatigue token on a crew member. I'm just going to fail the challenge outright or, or gamble on the fate deck and flip a card. And if I don't get it, I don't get it. That feels bad. Like I always want to have at least some chance of getting by without depleting myself so much that every future thing I try to do is nearly impossible. It felt like you're just playing catch up the whole game, and that just doesn't feel that great. I do give credit to the designers. They put a lot of effort into this game. It shows, and I, and I don't think I want to like bash the game too badly because there are, there are people out there who will like this, right? There are people out there who don't need as you know, in depth or heavy of his narrative as me or, or as much character built. They're just going to kind of play this as like a choose your own adventure, light Zelda type questing game where I can just go around and kind of do these things and score some points at the end based off how well I did. And that's all fine and good for them. It just did not hit for me. So 
big disappointment for me. I am going to try and sell it. I think I got an offer on it. Uh, again, I was trying to move it cause it's a hot commodity right now and people want it. But uh, if I don't, I'm obviously going to offer it up to you. So hopefully you can get more <laughs> enjoyment out of me if that's the case. But I was really disappointed, but again, I give them some credit for working hard on this. There's, you can tell it's, uh, been lovingly crafted. There's a lot of quality to the components. The art is is nice. The you know, what little writing there is that I felt was was good is is decent. But for for the most part, just a, a big disappointment for me. So I gave it a shot. I went back and tried it again, and it just did not pan out. So yeah, that was Sleeping Gods, and it is in the Purge box in my Calyx, the bottom right shelf, along with Anomia and Marvel Champions. So that is our played. That's a lot of stuff you played, and at least I got to get Sleeping Gods out of my collection. Beer review. <laughs> I think you're abstaining tonight, right? You're on a little bit yeah. of a I'm having rehydration a, kick. Yeah, I'm having a Kirkland purified water, uh, 16.9 <laughs> uh, ounce. So, yeah. A uh, 0% ABV. Yeah, 0% ABV. Yeah, I've... Um, I, yeah, I, I had a lot of beer this week, so I'm, uh, I'm taking a break. <laughs> Yeah, probably a good idea. I will fill in for you. I am having a uh, Jack's Abbey post-shift. It is a dry hop pilsner. I needed something lighter for the summer. Mm. Usually get like a Kolsch or something like that and wanted to go with something light. So I picked up this pilsner. I like Jack's Abbey. I've had their stuff before, but I never had this. And uh, it's on tap in the basement right now, and I like it a lot. Uh, The dry hop adds some additional flavor. Normally, pilsners can be hit or miss. I think a lot of the you know, European ones I like more than the American Pilsners. They tend to be weaker, but uh, this one's really good. So Jack's Abbey post-shift dry-hopped Pilsner. I think it was like fairly affordable for the Sixtal, so you probably get a six-pack for pretty cheap. And Jack's Abbey is pretty much available. I think they're in Boston or somewhere outside of Boston in Massachusetts, so they're not terribly far from us, but I know their distribution range is pretty far. So check them out, Jack's Abbey post-shift dry-hopped Pilsner. All right, Ark Nova, you bought it. We played it. Yeah. Let's talk about it. I know this game was super hyped. I know you were super hyped about it to the point where you, who admittedly do not play solo games much, broke this beast out, set it up, and started playing through the solo mode. We got a chance to play with four players at board game night, what, two two, two board night, game two nights? Times, it was about yeah. a month ago. Yeah. And I think everybody really liked it, but I'm interested to hear. So walk us through a little bit of of the game play, and then we'll talk about kind of what you and I both thought. Yeah, so Arc Nova is, I wouldn't say it's necessarily heavy, but it's it's, uh, a longer game. Uh, It's definitely a marathon, not a sprint, where you have uh, specific actions and depending on where they are on the action track, they can, they, they, you know, are, you know, uh, do more, I guess we'll say. And there are so many different, uh, areas on this game board to do. So you've got a reputation track, which allows you to get different animals, uh, that come out in the main board for everybody. The track also has victory points, uh, from a reputation standpoint towards the, at the end of the game. There is a, uh, you have a zoo where you have to build, you know, using little polyominoes, uh, whether it's a, a one animal cage. I think it goes up to a five, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, and then there's special pens and special enclosures that you get from specific cards. Uh, you can then, once you have enclosures, you can then play animals, which means you put these animals into your zoo, which then they become part of your tableau. There is a iconography on, you know, what they add to your tableau or what they require in order to be placed into your tableau. There is a sponsorship track that, uh, these are another set of specific cards that if you have them and your action is in that spot, you can play them. Uh, and these sponsorships, again, add, add to your tableau, uh, some iconography. They also can add in some of the special enclosures. They can give you unique scoring conditions, just like a plethora of actions on these. And then, uh, why can't I think of it? The fifth one is the one that is on the, is it the conservation track? The conservation board? I forget what it's called, but basically so. you can, you can send one of your workers, uh, out into, uh, an area where you can partner with other continent, uh, continental zoos, which then give you a discount on those animals. You can take a, I don't even know what you want to call it. Like a, you win like an academic award where you can get one of three prizes, whether it's uh, some iconography that you always have. You can get uh, a bonus um, extra card, you know, increase your hand size. Uh, and then the last spot on this is a place where you can participate in a conservation effort. Uh, and depending if you are the first, you would then, you know, pick the highest scoring spot or the lowest, depending on whichever you want, but you can only put one of your uh, tokens on those. But those tokens are special because they unlock something else from your game board. So that's the sort of core, right? It sounds like maybe a little bit mushy and, and convoluted, but um, they're all pretty simple things to do. And at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is just have the uh, most prestigious zoo and, and participate in the most uh, prestigious zoological activities. And what you're doing is you're you're moving one track of victory points versus one track of appeal points. And once they cross, uh, that triggers the end of the game. Then everyone does their final scoring. And then whoever has the most, it's a weird scoring, right? It's, it's a math problem on how to do the scoring. It's like this minus this, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so basically it's the distance and gap between when your, when your pawns cross over on the score tracks and whoever has the, you know, big, basically the biggest gap between the scores or between their scoring pawns, uh, is then the winner. What did I miss, Ryan? <laughs> I think that was a good summary. I, I think the things that stuck out to me. So again, let's go back. This gets compared a lot to, for, first I'll start. It is a big game, right? It's not overly complex mechanically, like you said, but it's a big game. There's a lot of stuff going on. Every player has their own sort of thing to manage. There's not a, too much player interaction. Um, the thing that I found fascinating about this game was I really like the way the actions are done with the cards kind of moving around and the yeah. efficacy of the cards being raised as it's at a higher number and weakened as it's at a lower number. So that kind of really forces you. It's silly. It's like just five cards, but you, you really have to execute your plan the way you want. And to do that, you have to not screw up the order of those cards. Like you have to play it right. And so you really got to think ahead. It becomes that, that uh, real time strategy sort of build order action, right? I need to do a little this, bit. Yeah. Which yeah. then allows That's me to do comparison. this, which then if I do that, then I can do this. However, 
I can, I don't know, maybe go here first, get this, then do this, then do that. Like, you have that yeah. freedom to, to pivot and switch at any moment, right? Which is kind of cool, too. Uh, but, but again, you have to be, uh, strategic in, in, in your switching things up. Yeah. Uh, because and there I are think some the limits and guide rails, you know, like hand size, I, you know, is it, yeah, is it, is it yeah I was going to mention that. Yeah. You don't have a lot to work with. I think you, you know, you see players early in the game try to get that five hand card limit upgrade. Uh, yeah. that's huge, right? That gives you so much more ability to kind of hold on to things, to plan things a little differently. I think the break track screws with your plans a lot, and I like that about it too. It's not like you yeah. can sit there and plan ahead with your cards and stuff, but if someone's just rocketing up that break track and not giving you the opportunity to kind of take advantage of where you're at there or whatever, it makes it that much tougher to kind of plan. So there's enough variability in that planning that you're not just sitting there playing solitaire the whole game, which is cool. Yeah, the I other really thing, like the power of that break track. Uh, and I yes, realized it too. more in the four-player game. Right, how powerful that break track can be. Yeah, yeah, we had some turns where it would just move like six to eight spaces in one in one round of, of around the table. The other thing that was really interesting to me was the scoring in this game. So as we went went along, I could kind of see what was happening. At first, it made absolutely no sense to me, but the fact that you have to have your tokens, you know, basically pass each other, and the further along they both are therefore further apart gives you extra scoring is really weird and kind of unique. Um, the mix of that, you know, renown and victory point track kind of moving towards each other really forces you to play a complete game rather than just trying to race up a victory point track. Cause it doesn't necessarily mean anything for you. Yeah. Uh, that is an interesting approach to scoring that I don't think I've ever seen from any other game yet. And it had me kind of, rethinking how I was approaching things. I don't know if you noticed, but like early on in that game, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was you. There was one player sort of racing up the renowned. Is it renown? Appeal. Appeal. Damn it. I, I still you're can't always, remember. You're always bad at appeal. <laughs> I need to think monkeys like bananas and bananas have peels. So I just, that's going to be my mnemonic from now on. So the appeal track, I think you were racing up the appeal track and I was not. And I was like, ah, it's just, you know, I don't need appeal. And then I was trying to get some victory points early on because, yeah, I hear victory points. I think that's what I need for victory. And the more we played, I was like, oh, shit, like, I need to build some aminals here. So I started throwing stuff down that made sense in the grand scheme of things for me. But I think that hurt me in the long run not doing that earlier because I did have stuff I could have played. I did have stuff I could have filled in at the zoos that I had open, the habitats I had open, but I didn't do it because I wanted to build a little bit of an engine there. And I think that cost me – I don't know if I came in second or third, but I, it definitely cost me a chance to be more competitive at the end of the game because I was a bit too passive with that at the beginning. I just didn't value it enough. But I love the way they do the scoring. I think it's very innovative and clever. It's way different than terraforming Mars. And I think it really forces you to kind of think about playing a complete game. You can't just sit back and focus on one or two things. You have to, you know, try to get the animals in. You got to try not to sell too many because you go backwards on that appeal track. It's, it's just cool. It's a good mix. It's a good mix and it keeps you on your toes the whole game. Yeah. Again, our four player game, it felt very close too at the end. You yeah. know, when, uh, after someone triggered it, you know, the, the end game scoring. You know, what triggers and happens after, you know, and then that last turn is almost the most precious turn you get of the entire game. 
You know, it's that yeah. last turn. I don't know. We played Terraforming Mars, what, four years ago, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's been a while. I played Ares Expedition last year, uh, which I guess is what Terraforming Mars, you know, uh, Jaws of Terraforming Mars. Um, <laughs> and um, don't mind the game. I, I don't own either of them, right? Because they're just not... I just won't play them. I'll play them like if someone wants to play them and they are like that, the, um, like, like, you know, we brought it along, right? For packs. We're like, oh, let's play. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'll play. That's cool. I don't yeah. need to own Terraforming Mars. However. Yeah, I, I own it and it doesn't see the table. <laughs> yeah. Cause we've no, played I, it enough. However, there's something. And again, I don't think it's only the theme because this because Ark Nova to me is a is a is a better game than Terraforming Mars, uh, and I think it does what Terraforming Mars tried to do and fell short. Terraforming Mars feels like a one of those weird semi co ops, right? But yet it's just pushing cubes. This doesn't do that, in my opinion. Yes, there's yeah, cubes would, on your board, agree. but but it's not like. But it's more about the cards and the actions and, and the programmatic nature in which you're going to set yourself up to be successful. And I think there's just more from a gamer's perspective that just offers more than, than terraforming Mars. Oh, raise the temperature, decrease this, do that. Like, I don't know. It's just, I think I the, the counterpoint to that though, like, I don't know if it's semi co-op as much as it is like, I don't know how to describe it. You're, you're competing with other players against those victory tracks, you know, temperature and oxygen, because they're limited, they're a limited resource. And so you're competing for the the right to gain from those limited resources. The cube pushing thing, I completely agree with, but I think terraforming Mars has more player interaction and and racing than Arc Nova does. Arc Nova, like you've got your zoo and you're focused on your zoo. And the only real competition is, is, kind of four cards and not everybody's even able to get the cards they want because of that. Is it the research track as you, you move up the middle so you can, you know, play cards out of that area too, I think is what yeah, it was. The rep track, reputation um, track. I think they they scratched two different itches. I do think I had, I, I enjoy Arc Nova more than I enjoy Terraforming Mars. And I probably have okay. a dozen games of Terraforming Mars under my belt at this point, at least. I just think Arc Nova has a better, I don't know, a better, fun model to it. I do think Terraforming Mars just gets old. I, I, the theme doesn't bother me. I'm fine with that. I think the gameplay is fine. It's just, it just doesn't have that longevity for me like this would. Well, That being said, I think Arc Nova is a good game. I don't know if I would play it that often because of how freaking long it is. It is a long game and it lacks some of the well, tenseness that like a, a four-hour session of Ankh at four players would provide. No, I, I, I definitely see that and I understand that. Um, but one, let me go back one more thing. Like, to, when we talk about the, you know, the comparison, when you get that card, the, the handful of cards in Terraforming Mars, right? And you're looking at it, and you're like, oh, can't do this, can't do this, can't play this, can't play that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this will take me all in the game. Uh, granted, you get a lot more cards, you pitch a lot more cards. I didn't feel that with Ark Nova. Now, granted, you do get it. There are some, like, um, there are things that are hard to play. However, I didn't feel, like, disappointed. Be like, okay, I can't set this engine up to get to this. Okay, cool. Then I just got to pitch it the next break. 
or you know you you feed it to another animal or you, or you you discard it when you do your draws right terraforming mars it was constantly like oh my god this card's so awesome oh my god i'll never play it uh, you know what i mean like it was just constant just disappointment after disappointment after draw after disappointment like i don't know that's just how i yeah, felt I, playing terraforming I think mars i went through so many cards there, and i that. played like 20% where Ark Nova, yeah, yeah you go no, through cards, some of but you don't go through as many, and most of them are potentially playable. If you if you want to play them, you can do that. You know what I mean? But Terraforming Mars, it's, it's like it was it was harder to play the cards, I guess. There, there's a a bit of a uh, decision overload in Terraforming Mars when you get the cards that you want, or you get the cards that you get as being the game plus the cards that you draw, you know, every turn, and you have to pay for your cards too, right? But you have so many potential engines and avenues in terraforming mars because of the volume of cards that it's hard to sort through everything and make sense of what you want and that's part of the game right that's part of strategy in arc nova you're more restricted there you're more restricted to your hand size you're more restricted to how you can obtain new cards you actually have to spend an action just to be able to pull cards out of the gallery area at the begin at the center of the board so there's a mix there there the terraforming mars where you have an overload and you need to narrow it down to things that make the most sense to you even though you might not be able to play them now. And there's some of that long-term planning that I mentioned in Arc Nova present in Terraforming Mars too. Arc Nova takes a different approach, which is smaller subset of cards to choose from. But when you pick a card, you better be sure it's something that you can use because if it sits in your hand for the rest of the game, and doesn't do anything. It's eating up precious space, probably not going to be able to get rid of it for anything good. I, I just see them as different approaches to kind of the same problem, but on opposites and opposite ends of the spectrum. That being said, I kind of like the terraf- or the uh, Arc Nova approach more than Terraforming Mars. Yeah. Because I've played enough games. There's no hand limit in Terraforming Mars, if I remember correctly. And if there is, I've been playing it yeah. wrong all these years. I but feel like there's no hand limit. Because it's like that yeah, meme where the guy's holding cards. 25 cards from Uno. <laughs> Draw 25 <laughs> or do this. And the guy's holding like a thousand cards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We put enough time into the, in the Terraforming Mars discussion uh, I see the comparisons and why people think they're roughly the same. I do think Ark Nova is a better game. And if I had to pick between the two, maybe I have some fatigue on my side from Terraforming Mars. Maybe not. But I would pick Ark Nova because I do really love – I like the theme. Building a zoo is fun. Let's be honest. There's video games out there yeah. for that sole reason. Who's never but played the, Zoo Tycoon, the, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but the the game itself is just really well made. And I I really enjoy certain aspects of it. The victory track is really cool. The balancing between victory points and, and appeal is really cool. The research track is cool. I think that break track really helps pace the game the right way. There's just a lot of elements that work really well. But it is a long game, right? You've got to sit down and yeah, be prepared long. for three, four hours. But you are going to have a good time while you play it. Yeah, and and again, it's it's a it's a puzzle that you have to solve every time, and the puzzle changes based on the cards, based on the players, based on who does what action when. It, it's just I don't know. It's got a lot to it, but yes, the, the the length of the game is is a big deterrent to a lot of people. But there's I mean, there's also a lot of people that can't you know they don't like the Lord of the Rings because they're three hours or four hours. You know what I mean? Like yep. I get it. You know, stick to your Groundhog Day hour and a half movies. I get it, but like. You know, sometimes you want a nice sort of, I mean, it's funny to call it epic, but it's epic in time, but not like epic in like, it's not like a grandiose war game, right? Like you're not sending your zebras into combat, but like, uh, but, <laughs> it, but it, so but it feels that way from a, from a length of time, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a buildup to the end. That the end scoring is cool to yeah. watch, especially because you have like hidden objectives and I don't know. There's there's just a lot to like. So we will have to do a full review at some point in time of the game when we get some more opportunities to play it. Yeah, I think we need at least three or four games under our belts before we start putting some numbers on it. But early impressions were very promising. I enjoyed it a lot. I know you were looking yeah. forward to it like all hell for the, the board game night yeah, adventure I'm, with the four of us. Yeah, I'm just glad it didn't suck. Oh, no, I think everybody had a good time. And yeah. I definitely see us playing that again. And that is a great one to actually probably bring along the packs this year. All right. Cool. Let's hop into a review. We talked earlier about Moonrakers on some prior episodes. Uh, one of our board game bros, Joe, picked up a copy when we were at PAX last winter, and we've played it a few times since then, and we figured, stuck in our minds, pretty good game. Let's uh, let's give it the official review treatment, so we'll break it down a little bit. Moonrakers is basically a deck builder where you are in charge of a spaceship and you're running a bunch of missions of different uh, types. And you're supposed to finish these missions by playing a set of cards that sort of match certain symbols. And there's a few different symbols in the game. plays a lot like uh, Clank Legacy does in that you have a certain number of uh, action points that you can – or Clank, I should say, or Clank Legacy – that you can play cards, um, and basically those cards give you certain effects as well as give you the symbols. If you get all the symbols you need, you can complete the mission, but oftentimes you are not able to do that by yourself. You will have to have a friend help or enemy help or multiple friends or enemies help to get that done and negotiate the rewards with them, victory points, uh, coins, and or equipment to kind of sate all the people involved to make sure the mission actually gets done. However, they can also stab you in the back. They could say that they're able to complete the mission and help you along and then play no cards and completely screw you and leave you spinning out in the void of space all by yourself. The game also features a bit of a shipbuilding element. So in front of you, you'll have your own sort of shipboard with upgrades. Uh, I think there's four spots, correct me if I'm wrong, where you can put down little uh, upgrade cards of various types. Not only do they give you special abilities, but they can also give you more cards of certain types so your deck actually grows. And there's also crew cards in the deck, and some missions require crew to complete. I believe the first person to 10 victory points wins the game. They're pretty hard to come by without completing missions. Uh, And this is one of those few games where competitive co-op is a phrase I hear used, and you have too, and we've talked about this in prior episodes – it generally doesn't work, but this, we both agree, is one of those games where it just does, right? This might be the best way it's utilized and executed, yeah. in my opinion, because you can't, you can't go at it alone. You know, you need, you need people, and you need to be sort of give and take. And it's interesting, right, because it's also a race, in a way, right? Race to 10. So it's like, help me this lap, hopefully you'll help me later, or I'll help you later. Like, you know what I mean? It's interesting. I don't know, I, I, it, but it, it works, and it works very well. Yeah, it was very surprising. You know, we've we've played uh, more than our fair share of competitive co-op type games, and almost all of them fail. Uh, this one works, and we'll get into a little bit why as we talk through the review. So let's hop in. All right, so let's start with theme. Would you like to go first, my friend? Sure. I, and again, maybe I'm. Okay, I think my my. <laughs> My theme choices are always bad, but there's something about Moonrakers and there's something about the theme that I really, really enjoy. Uh, so I gave Moonrakers a four for theme. 
uh, it, it, it makes me feel like, uh, sort of like, like, uh, Firefly, like the, the, the TV show Firefly or classic. It's got, it's got vibes of, of some of the, the sort of the extra Star Wars or Star Trek storylines, not the main ones, like some of the cool ones, right? <laughs> like the little ones that are off to the side or like the tertiary characters type. Um, like I like the, I like, it just and it all works well, you know, the crew with the missions, with the with the cards, with the equipment. Like it just all comes together, I think, in a really nice sort of epic space package. And, and again, I gave it a four. I'm at a four too. I get I get the same vibes. You know, having to run these dangerous missions and, and you need allies to help you out, and you're kind of you know they're they're also competing in the same mercantile way or whatever it is in in the space wars that take place. You have to work together, but you also have to be wary of each other. And I think that lends to the theme. I also think the ship upgrade part. Everybody loves having a spaceship, and everybody loves getting to get cool shit for their spaceship. So that part is fun too. And adding you know the crew have names, so adding some of the crew in gives it some added themes. So on top of that, the gameplay. With the cards, so there's like thrust cards, there's energy cards, there's shield cards, there's damage cards. They all kind of meld into the theme in the right way. I don't think there's anything that kind of takes me out of it except for maybe some of the hidden objective stuff, but they kind of also make sense in a way too. So yeah, I put a four for theme as well. Uh, Balance, I gave it a four as well. I think the game is very well balanced. I don't think there's you know any situations where we – played what three games i don't think there's any situations where we were feeling like anybody was terribly left behind except in one case which was me yeah, but where i tried fault. to i don't even remember what the hell i did i did something stupid and basically shot myself back like five points in the victory track or something dumb yeah, you were doing like a um, space leroy jenkins i think yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> a proper analogy um, but everything feels really balanced. The only gripe I have on balance with this game is there are certain crew, certain, you know, upgrade cards for your ship that offer you more of the blue card, which is the energy card. And I think we talked about this before, but that yeah. card is basically the one that allows you to gain additional actions and therefore play more cards, right? You're never going to be able to complete anything but the most basic of missions with the starting energy cards in your deck, you have to get more. And they're not very numerous, right? There's not a ton of upgrades that offer them. There's not a ton of crew that offer them. So they're hard to get. And that sometimes makes things a little in the, in the balance of power in the game shift heavily towards those who can get those. That being said, right? If their deck gets too thick, they've got too much other stuff in there. They're not going to draw them. So there's a bit of a balance of luck there that comes into play. But I think that weighs into my four score. Yeah, so I was uh 100% aligned with you on this. I also gave it a 4. I actually felt like the secret missions was the more luck factor in the game uh, because there yeah. are definitely yeah. some easier missions to complete. Uh and depending on when you get them in the game, you, they'll just they just you just you'll be winning them every every other round. But like you said, I think everything else is pretty solid. It's how you choose to you know, build your deck. What crew pieces do you get? You know, or, or not crew pieces, uh, ship parts do you pick up? What, uh, what crew do you hire? And we've seen, uh, I mean, that crew deck is huge. And I don't think we've, I think we've only seen like 10% of the crew. It's crazy. Um, because 
Some of the crew, I think, are like utterly useless. And then other ones like, oh my God, that's a must have, you know? Um, yeah. And again, depending on when these things come out, there's that, that, that little sliver. But again, that's deck building. You never know what's going to pop up. You know, you're always going to have that luck factor in deck building. But yeah, I'm with you on the four. Cool. What'd you have for fun? Uh, I also gave it a four, uh, for fun. I, um, I can see, I couldn't go five on it because there are moments where, like you, like I said, you, you, you don't feel like you're making any progress or you're not getting anywhere. Uh, the missions that are out there are just like, they're either too complicated or you don't, you're going to need everyone at the table and just figuring out table scraps with four people. It's, t- it's just, it's tedious. But, but again, uh, I do enjoy the game. I do find it very fun, but there are these moments of just like uh, a little bit of blah for me. Yeah. Fours across the board here and the uh, same reasons, right? There's some downtime in this game that happens too in between turns if you're not involved, right? If, if there's a group of two or three doing a mission and you're not included, you're just sitting there thumbing your butt while waiting for them to be done. Also, when you get to be towards the end of the victory track, like you're nine, you're at nine points and 10 wins, no one's going to help you no one get wants there you. without robbing you of all the victory points. And, you know, you have to basically go at it alone, right? So yeah. there are moments in the game where you know, because it's competitive co-op, I think this comes with the territory, you get stuck, right? And you get left out and you just have to kind of accept it, deal with it, move on. You have to find a way around it if you can with the cards you got or the equipment you draft so uh, or purchase. There, there's a lot of things to consider there as you go through the game to put yourself in a position where you don't need somebody else to help you win. But if you don't do that, we don't plan it well. You don't get lucky enough to get those, you know, hidden objectives like you mentioned, where there is some balance concerns. Uh, you're just sitting there waiting. So yeah, so four for me too. Uh, component yeah. quality, yeah. I gave it a five. This is a beautiful production. The box is beautiful. The insert is fantastic. The I don't. I'm pretty sure he got the upgraded play mats. I'm pretty sure it's like cardboard. Yeah, you didn't get the uh, traditional uh, boards if you don't get that. But the upgraded pl- and and to be clear, we played it with the whole upgraded version minus the forty five dollar metal tokens ship tokens, which he wisely did not purchase. Cards are great, nice stock illustrations, great. The uh, the ship tokens are fine. The coins are great. Everything about this game is just a beautiful production. They definitely put the time and energy into making it nice and. It has that futuristic vibe. The artwork totally gives you like a space theme. There's a lot of like darks, you know, of blue, deep blues and blacks. A lot of the color works well. The crew's kind of got a like purplish. So there's a lot of like hollow lenses illustrated in this game, all kinds of cool stuff. So I think they absolutely nailed the, uh, the component quality and the production value through the roof. So it's a five for me. Yeah. I, Ryan, this. I don't know. I know we have only another category to go, uh, but this is going to be the first time if all of our numbers matched every category. <laughs> we'll find uh, out. I also went with a five on component quality. Everything you've said. I don't know why you needed metal minis. Those little plastic ships are just as cool. And then the you know is it there, he has metal? There's metal coins, right? Is it metal coins? Yep. Yep. I mean, those are cool. The, the the cards, the texture on the cards feels great. The play mats are good. Um, the little ship parts are neat. Uh, uh, again, it's a five. Yep. Everything about it's nice. All right. Let's see. 
Go ahead. Last one. Replayability. Replayability. Let's see. Hold on. It's going to sound like crap, but let me try. (laughs) All right, go ahead. So replayability in its current form, I have given Moonrakers a four. Oh, we did. Did we not do it? We deviated. Keep going. Okay. All right. So I went, like I said, I went with a four. Again, I think it's solid. I think there's a lot of game in the box, but there's just something. The reason why I couldn't give it the five is it could get a bit samey. Uh, and, and again, maybe mixing up with different people, you know, might change it up a little bit because you get the dynamic of, of trying to partner up and work with people to get things accomplished. But I just, again, I felt like it can get a bit, a little bit samey. So that's why I docked at a point. So four for me. Yeah. 4.5. Ah. We, uh, we're half a okay. point off. Half a point. I off. gave it the extra half a point because of competitive co-op. Oh, that you have to well work done. with other people yeah. in this game. You have to work with other people. It's just part of the game. And that means every time you play it, the variability of cards, the variability of gear out there, the variability of the missions that are drawn, the variability of the personalities of the players at, at the board. Even with the four of us playing that game two, three times, <laughs> we saw so many different interactions happen, so much negotiation and bargaining and hustling and screwing yeah. each other over. It was great. And I feel like that, this is the, we said it before, this is one of the few competitive co-op games where it all works. That is a strength towards the replayability of this game is, is that portion of it. Okay. Fair. So I'm a half a, half a point higher than you at a 4.5. Okay. So that rounds me out at a 4.3. How about you? I'm at a 4.2, uh, which for all, you know, in comparison to other reviews, it's tied war chest and tied oath at a 4.2. Ooh, so it's definitely company. in good company. Yeah. So I think if if you would say this is a lose friends kind of game, would you agree with me if I said yes? Uh, I would also say yes. This is definitely <laughs> a game where you can uh, again just the one. There's the fact that there's a mission out there where you have to fail your friend. Like on yeah, purpose. Yeah. Like, I was thinking of that too. That card, if it gets played on you, is the most because de- you're feeling so good. You're feeling so confident. You're ready. You're out. You're, you're embarking on this mission. And then someone who you know just turns their back and is like, you know what? Mm, sorry. You failed it's your this license mission, but to be. A I got a victory card. point. Yep. And that card alone makes me feel like you would flip a table if done in the most opportune time (laughs) yeah i think the fact that that exists plus you can just do it at your own whim and and it gives people pause to work with you in the future but there's only four players at the table and if you got what they need they got to make the deal with the devil uh you can also like get pissed off at people who say they've got what they need and they didn't pay attention or maybe they didn't (laughs) get to draw what they thought they would get to draw because they're not keeping track of their deck and then they basically screw you over by having the group of you be one icon short of completing the mission. Like there is enough stuff in this game that would just make you reach out and choke somebody. So I think I give it a yes too. Yeah, man. So we're so close on this review. This might be our closest review yet. And we're only off yeah, a half so. a point. Like that's amazing. Yeah. So that is Moonrakers. I know that there are, if it's, it was either out or it's coming out another expansion. Is that right? 
No, there is yes. So there is uh, four expansions coming out for Moonrakers. Holy uh, crap! At, uh, later this summer, and uh, one of them that I, I I did a little sneak peek of one of these, and it, it looks like they really did a good job uh, on some of these new expansions that you can add in. I'm super impressed with what I saw. I don't want to spoil it, but it's uh, it's good stuff. And that's just one of the nice. four I saw. So good stuff That'll coming from Moonraker. So, uh, Joe, get your pocketbook out. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get that to the table again. Even without the expansions, I'd like to play that again. But if, if those come in, we're definitely playing it. So Yeah, it's a good one. That is Moonraker's, an excellent deck builder game. Again, one of the only games we've seen that is competitive co-op. That actually works. There are yep. many failures in that area. This one totally run out into the outer reaches of the solar system. All right. Let's hop over to Backbot and wrap this up. I got a pretty small list, and I know you have a very yeah. pretty small list as well. So you I. just had a couple games come in, right? So why don't you yeah. talk about what arrived? Yeah, I um, I think, well, last episode, uh, I was backing, I think, like four. Uh, and again, since that episode... They've all been funded. Um, now, granted, there is one I'm looking at called Tunjin Party, which I was looking at is that the other day. It's a deck builder in what is it? Rubber Noodle art style. What is that? Is that what yep. it's called? Rubber Noodle, like Townsfolk Tussle and Vagrant Song, uh, you know, and that Cuphead. But it's a deck builder too. So I don't know if that intrigued you. It that one got me uh, that there's a deck building yeah. in a dungeon crawler. So I was like, oh, it did. And the price point was amazing. Uh, so I don't know. It might be a fishy one. I don't know. There's a couple red flags on it, but I don't know. I'm looking at that one, but no, at current, I am not backing anything. Um, and then even the things on game found, uh, uh, they've, they've all been funded. Like I think raw was my last one on game found. So, but, uh, as Ryan mentioned, I did have two Kickstarters show up that were were funded i think last year uh one is from renegade game studios called my father's work uh and this is a number one on board game geek right now yes and they better come out with this app so people can play the game asap it's one of those where it needs an app to walk you through the narrative of what you're doing and they they, the app is weeks away, they said, from being ready. Um, it's in QA. Wow. They, they, they put up an HTML demo to help you at least start to learn the mechanics until the app is ready, which is nice. But, and again, I'm not one of those guys that's going to be so mad about it, but it's like, eh, come on, Renegade. This is a little bit of a flat tire, but this is a, I mean, I bought it. So a couple things. So number one, Supposedly, this was only going to be available on Kickstarter. More than likely, they'll have some at their booths at their conventions. However, I, you will, I don't believe you'll see it on retail shelves. You might see it on mini market. Cause like, same thing with hate, right? They bought copies of hate to resell later. Um, once some, yeah. some sort of agreement was gone. So more than likely, that might be another avenue. Um, but basically you are, um, mad scientists. Uh, and you're trying to, you know, build these crazy experiments. And again, it's a renegade production. 
So like the tokens are amazing. The, it comes with game trays. It is one of the most beautiful productions I have ever seen in my collection. I mean, it's beautiful. Everything fits in the box. There's no, it doesn't lift. It's like, you know, artisanally crafted to fit into the box. Like it's perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I'm looking, I'm so pumped because it's worker placement. Everyone has the same sort of set of workers. Uh, but they do unique different things depending on where they go and, and, and what, uh, lineage you're on. So I'm super excited. Um, again, it just has a lot of unique mechanisms that I'm looking forward to trying. So that's yeah, my father. It's all the rage right now. I'm excited to see what, uh, what yeah. you think. Is there a solo yeah. mode? No, there's no solo mode. Okay. I don't and know if I you can't even give it a shot. I would. I would have. That would have been the first thing. Uh, I, that would have hit the table before Xeno shift, but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'm waiting for the app so I can actually maybe go through the mechanics, you know, maybe I'll try that demo this week. Cool. And then the, the other game that came in is a, a little card game, uh, from, uh, Grand Gamers Guild called Adabus, Aldabus, maybe. And basically it is, <laughs> different uh again it felt like a um almost like a cross between sort of like a sushi go type style with like i'm again this was a while ago i'm trying to remember the mechanics um with like a little bit of gizmos where you're trying to build this tableau of doors in front of you and then depending on you know what doors you have what doors you have adjacent to what other doors um, they'll, they'll trigger other things to happen, but ultimately you're trying to build the best sort of, sort of tableau of doors and door knockers. Um, so again, it was a simple, simple little card game and I'm glad it just, I, I'm glad it arrived because those, those definitely seem to, to get more play. Cool. What about you? So backed and bought for me is not too big. I have a few backed and one bought. Well, technically one backed. I dropped out of another one I was backing and then two purchases. So I backed ARCs and not a big surprise there. I'm a leader fan, right? I don't have any root products, but I think I have everything else they've made. Uh, Crystal Caverns, <laughs> Oath, and Ford I'm looking at on my shelf right now. And I will So are you going to let me point. buy a Hoy this year or are you going to buy that too? <laughs> I would love to own a leader game in my collection. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. If I'm going to go in on arcs, which is going to be expensive, I might as well just give you a hoy. So there we yeah, go. Yeah, let me buy a hoy. I feel I feel bad because like I love their games and I don't own any of them. <laughs> yeah. So arcs is all the hotness on Kickstarter now. The campaign crossed a million bucks. They're fully funded, so they're not going to run into any issues there. The game looks really cool so far. It has a bit of an oath vibe, but shrunken down into a three-session campaign. So basically, you'll play three games as part of the campaign. Looks really good, and I'm very excited about it. There were two videos this week. Uh, I think a third is coming or has already been released of basically a playthrough by Cole Worley and some other folks from Leader, and just looks great. So I'm very excited about that. It's going to be a while until it gets fulfilled, I'm sure, Um, and I'm hoping to get into TTS to try to try or to try and try it. I can't talk, try it out (laughs) myself and see what I think. But, uh, the pedigrees there, I love Cole Worley stuff. I do not have any 
uh, Whirly Gig Games, his, his gaming company he does with his brother. I did want to get PAX Premier Second Edition. Just haven't picked it up yet. It's not terribly easy to find, and there's no prints out there, you know, currently in retail as far as I know. So, but I'm a big Cole Whirly fan, and Arcs is no letdown. Kyle Farron, who's been on the podcast, has did just enormous amounts of artwork for that game. It totally looks like Kyle, but now with a sci-fi spin, which is really cool to see. I love all the art I've seen so far. This just looks like it's going to be another absolute home run. I have seen a lot of commentary, though, about the design choices that Cole made during the process. And I'm not sure if it was just him or mostly him, but Arx was always kind of intended to be a a campaign-ish style game. But during the development process, they broke down the game into two entities, and they're going to sell it on Kickstarter the same way, more or less. The game was campaign-based, and they realized during the development that maybe it makes sense to split off sort of a base copy of the game that you can play just a single session, and then add in as an expansion a campaign pack for another, I believe, $60, and you can buy that to play the campaign version. A lot of folks were pretty torn about that approach. I think some appreciated it and some didn't. And part of the reason is because if a game is designed sort of as a campaign and you all of a sudden just create a single player mode from it, people were kind of skeptical and wary. If there's anybody that can pull that off, it's Leader and, and Cole Worley. And so I don't have any kind of qualms about backing this at all because of that. In fact, I think I, I'm i one of the people that kind of respects the pivoting. You know, you, designers know when there's an additional yeah opportunity there, right? They could just turn around, kickstarted the game, made it a hundred and, you know, 110, 120, 130 bucks and charge you for the whole thing. Instead, they're giving us choices. Do you just want the $60 base game? Do you want all of it? And most of us are probably going to pick all of it because we're fanboys and like their stuff. But I can see an opportunity for people out there who just want to dive and dip their toes into the game to buy the base box, see if it works for them. Unlike Oath, where you had to drop, you know, the full price for everything right off the bat. So, and the, both those games, I think have some, it either works for you or it doesn't. It's very based off your group, right? Can your group handle the sort of king-making and backstabbery and deal-making and politics uh, that are present in a lot of these types of games? Arx takes some of that away from Oath, from what I understand. But overall, it just looks like it's going to be a really good project. So I'm super excited about that. And I was backer number 3,000, so I'm in pretty early. <laughs> that sounds early. It sounds late, but it was actually early because I backed it literally like an hour after I got the email. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one too. Again, I actually, to be honest, you know, to, I'll, I'll sort of echo your comments. I think when a company, specifically a company like Leader, shows and breaks these these tiers down, you know, between just base and then campaign base, you know what I mean, or campaign deluxe or whatever you want to call it, like they're doing that. I think what's cool is again, it's it's transparent, it's honest, and they're not doing it just to, you know, to take your money. They're doing it because there is a distinct difference between them. You know, can your group just do one, want to do, wants to do one shots? Then don't waste your, you know, the extra money. You know, don't, don't get the extra bloat. But if right. you have a, a, a group that, you know, maybe is more familiar with something like an oath or even, um, you know, uh, like, a, like a Trude Vang or not a Trude Vang, sorry, uh, you know, like a Destinies or like these other uh, Seventh Continent. Or even even some of the legacy like Clank uh, or or Charterstone that are going to be more time consuming, even though it's only three, you know. Then hey, here's something a little extra. So yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I think, and again, what a company like Leader who's established, 
is is actually someone that you have to take it as a sign of positivity. It's not a negative thing at all. Um, there are a lot of companies where if other companies did this, um, yes, I would be on the other side of the fence. Like, are you kidding me? Right. right. Or, 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 or the, the, you know, the, the slapped on solo that you get as a, as a, um, as, as a, uh, uh, unlock stretch goal. Like, come on, you know, but, yeah. but their pedigree helps here. Yeah. And they've run many successful campaigns. Their expansions for root are, you know, widely celebrated there's a talk of oath expansion coming yes uh, they, they've earned the right to pivot like this in my opinion and not have you know the entirety of their backers come down on them in, in a furious reign of hell uh we'll see what happens right maybe things don't go the way they hope and maybe keeping it as one product was a better idea but i do think that there's some lessons learned from oath and maybe a chance for arcs to actually shine as a single player game, right? It's still in development. So there's a big caveat there. What people see and play today is not the finished product. So there's opportunity for those, you know, goddamn geniuses over there to actually make it even better. And I think they will, <laughs> right? I have full faith in them to do so. Very excited for that. If you haven't backed arc and you're a leader fan arcs, if you, and you're a leader fan, please do. Cause you probably won't regret it. Um, I did also decide not to continue backing Feralis. Uh, was it Lands Unknown or something like that? Uh, I watched a bunch of playthrough videos. The art got me. It's like this, you know, dark fantasy. It looks really cool. The uh, components for the game looked great. But as I watched more videos about how to play it, it looked like a slow version of Magic the Gathering. It just had some elements to it from Magic and... Had some cool stuff too. There are a couple of unique mechanics to it, but for the most part, it just didn't draw me in enough for the price point. Yeah, I probably could have done the base game for like, what was it, like 60 bucks shipped or 70 bucks yeah. shipped, but I don't know. It, it just didn't sing to me enough. It's a little bit of a deck builder, kind of cool card playing mechanics in some ways and also kind of slow in others. So just decided against it and, and, I threw him a buck for support and hopefully that publisher or that designer decides to do some more work in the future. Cause they did have some cool ideas there. It just, I decided it wasn't for me and I don't normally pull out of campaigns like that. Once I back something, I'm pretty sure when I back things, I'm going to want them, but this one I, I backed out of. So best of luck to them. Cool looking game, just not for me. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then uh bought, I picked up from a Tom Lehman, one of my favorite designers after playing Ark Nova released a new game called Dice hold on, Runs. Hold on, hold on. It's Res Arcana. What did I say? You said Ark Nova. <laughs> no, Res did I say Ark Nova? Oh Jesus. You did say Ark Nova. <laughs> See? It's still on my brain. Res Arcana, one of yeah. my favorite engine build probably my favorite engine builder of all time, even though I can't get the name right. Uh, Tom Lehman released Dice Realms. It went to retail not all that long ago and I got a copy from uh, I think Miniature Market on sale for pretty expensive game it was like 80 bucks 85 bucks and then you know whatever the shipping cost was so not cheap and the reason for that is because this game comes with a complete buttload of die faces so you are uh you start the game with two dice a black and a white and some uh wheat tokens and which they borrowed from agricola i think and then uh you know some some other uh reroll tokens and stuff like that and basically your dice represent your kingdom. So each die has a set of six faces and all those faces are swappable. 
So as you play the game and gather resources, you're able to sort of upgrade your dice faces to different, um, you know, upgrades from what they were or switch them to something different. Every game you play, you draw five tiles out of this ginormous cloth sack they included. Why they made this sack so big, I have no idea. It is literally the biggest like bag I've ever gotten with a board game. Like when you see it, you're going to laugh. You could literally hide your children's Christmas presents in this thing. Um, you pick five (laughs) tiles out of it. Yeah. Except it's black, like Krampus sack. (laughs) What do you think? Krampus probably has a black sack, right? Well, yeah. And the kids can't see through it. They don't know where they're going. Like a muddy brown, maybe muddy brown. Well, it's not going to hide the blood as well. Yeah, that's true. I think we've got the title for this episode. Anyway, <laughs> there's five tiles and you pull out f- – there, there's a whole bunch of tiles. You pull five out to begin the game randomly. Uh, I have it set up in front of me right now with five of the recommended starter tiles, kind of like Res Arcana does with the places of power. They kind of recommend you use those for the first playthrough because they're kind of more simplistic. But each of these tiles has, uh, what, eight die faces that are uh, associated with it. And so you pull those out of the extra tray. And then you can upgrade to those throughout the game and you continue to play rounds until somebody gets uh, one of the 10 tokens. So there's a 10 uh, wheat token, there's a 10 victory point token, and then there's a minus 10 misery token. When one player has one of those, it signals the last round and the game ends. Supposedly it plays pretty quick. I haven't gotten to try it yet. I was hoping to get a play in before we uh, recorded tonight, but it looks like it'll have to be later whatever, but excited to try that. I know the price point was high, but um you know, Tom Lehman's work speaks for itself. I'm a big fan and, and I was excited to get this into my hands and try it. And I definitely will report back when I get the opportunity to play. And then the last thing I bought, we brought, talked a little bit earlier about Ankh and how much of a beast that thing is to get to the table. I love that game. It is probably, I played Blood Rage with you. I have not played Rising Sun. I would put Ankh above Blood Rage for me right now, but I need to play Blood Rage more to say that for sure. But Ankh is one of my favorite games that I own, and I am tired of not getting it to the table, and I'm tired of when I do get it to the table, it takes forever to set up. So I finally broke down, used some trading credit from Noble Knight, and bought Foam Army Trays to get that damn thing down from like five boxes to one box and then a bag for all the models. So I worked on that a bit this weekend. I got a, basically two whole boxes out of the way. I am going to have to buy like an army carrying bag, you know, like for miniatures to store all these stupid foam trays in. But everything will be out of boxes. I'll be able to just set the bags next to the, the board game, you know, Unbelievable. cabinets. And finally we'll be able – like I have everything sorted out real nice. I could just pull out a tray and it's labeled with the, the gods, warriors and stuff on it and – It'll be fast to set up finally, or faster to set up finally, because that's probably the worst part of that game right now is going through all those boxes. You don't really like you kind of know what's in some of them, but you don't, and so you got to pu- pull stuff out, which makes it tough to yeah. find. And then all the guardians, right? You randomize which guardians you're using every game. So, like, if you just have the deck of cards there and you shuffle and pull three guardians, you could be pulling three guardians from three separate boxes, and you don't have any idea till you open the damn things to find them. So I've had enough of that shit. I am putting this thing together, and I'm never looking back. I built foam core inserts for um, the base box, where your player tokens and your onk tokens and your your you know merging board are all together wrapped in a in a nice little package. So they're all in one spot with the rule book and the camel tokens. It's, it's just going to be nice. Long overdue, and uh, 
it's going to cost me a little bit extra to finish it up, but uh, time save will be well spent. Nice. I'm looking forward to seeing that because uh, this was that was a struggle getting out. <laughs> it is. It's I mean, such a good game, but it's how- just, I, I hate that Simon keeps doing this with different it's games. Frustrating. Like, it just make a big box version and charge me an extra twenty bucks, and I'll buy the damn thing so I don't have to go through this shit every time I play one of your games. Yeah. It's frustrating. They make such yeah, cool mean, stuff. It's in the name, but just offer a big box, damn it. Yeah, I mean, even the freaking you know what is it? The Kickstarter exclusive, which was just like all the plastic bits instead of needing to punch cardboard. Right. Why does that not fit in the base box? Why does that have to uh, fit in another box? I don't I mean, know. Come on, like. And then the worst part too is like I'm sitting there with a box full of cardboard that's perfectly usable and I don't know what to do with it. Like I'm not going to use it. I have all the upgraded stuff. I can't yeah. give it to somebody because they don't have the the models. Like they could proxy it, sure, but I don't know. Yeah. Like I don't know anybody that's going to go yeah. through that effort. I just I didn't know what to do with it, so it's just sitting here. And I, I hate wasting it, right? It's a perfectly good set of materials for a board game, but yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I'll stop bitching. I'm getting enough storage to have it well organized, and I'll be happy as a result. So that's my back bought. That does it for tonight. This is a, a pretty concise, quick episode, and uh, I'm glad we got to talk about Arc Nova. It's been a while since we played. I was hoping we would get to chat about yeah. it because we were a lot of buildup for that, right? A lot of buildup. Yeah, I've... I've loved that game. I, I, well, I've loved the concept of that game since I knew it was a thing. And then getting to play it, I was just like, oh, I do like this game. Thank you. Yeah. I felt the same way. And then I felt the same way. I had so much excitement for Brian Boru. Like, if you had told me 10 years ago, Ryan, one night, you and your friends will sit down at a table and you will have giddy excitement like your first day of school to play a game named Brian Boru, High King of Ireland. I would have been like, God damn, my life took a bad turn. But you know Did what? I lose a bet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, probably a series of bets. But that game is fantastic and I had such a good time. I'm looking forward to when we can play it again and I know Brad's going to like it too. I think area control stuff is one of his favorite categories of games. So yeah. we got to try it. He plays it, it very available. well. He definitely yeah. plays it very well. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our, our episode. Uh, thanks everybody again for joining us. You can check us out online at playgameslosefriends.com. Visit our Instagram at playgameslosefriends. Check us out on our inactive dead Twitter account at PGLF show. You can always email us at playgameslosefriends at gmail.com if you have questions, comments about the show, suggestions for reviews, any of that jazz. Also, if you don't mind, please leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast episodes. Let us uh, grace your ears with our terrible, terrible recants of how we play games and what we think of them. (laughs) Five stars is great. Whatever you want to give helps get the show out to more people. That is all. Can any, uh, yeah, like and subscribe. Press those, slam those buttons. Uh, (laughs) Any final words of wisdom for our our good buddies out there who play board games? Well, we're heading into convention season. Um, I think there's actually, there might be actually one going on right now, right? The UK Game Expo, or maybe that just ended. Um, So there's lots of good stuff coming down the pike this year. Uh, We're all looking forward to to PAX, hopefully in December. Um, So yeah, we'll have... uh, Tons more stuff to discuss and talk about on the way. 
I was looking at a registration today for PAX, actually, and I signed myself up to be a expo booth, not realizing that it was the wrong registration form. So, yeah, maybe I'll be sitting there by myself at an empty table. I'll get some Play Games Lose Friends stickers made. <laughs> nice, just you and a bunch of stickers. Yep. <laughs> Because well, I'm gonna go playing games and buying stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go spend money and and, and get promos. <laughs> yeah. Well, my words of wisdom are uh, cool mini or not. If you're listening, big boxes. Please, for the love of God. For the love of God, big boxes. I will pay you more money to make a big box. Okay. Thank you. Please. All right. That does it. Thanks everybody for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Later, all. <laughs>